Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your intergalactic, oh no, wait, interdimensional host, Javi. Yeah, I got it. All right, fantastic. Shut up, don't start over. <laughs> and uh, here we are, finally, weeks later, we're finally discussing Spider-Man Far From Home. It's funny because we've, we've been meaning to record this episode for like three weeks, and even though we put an episode out last week, it feels like it's been for fucking ever. Yeah, I know. No kidding. I think we even tried to record this episode last week while we were on our way to watch a live recording of Last Podcast on the left. Whoop, shout out Last Podcast, guys. It was a great show. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, I definitely... I'd never seen a live podcast before. Like, and it wasn't, like, the actual show. It was just, like, just great performance, like, and so much comedy. I don't think I'd laugh that hard in a long time. Yeah, no free ads, but definitely if you guys get a chance, check out Last Podcast on the left. <laughs> We're not being sponsored by them or anything. But, yeah, anyway, uh, this is the first movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe uh, that follows Avengers Endgame, which we did a few months ago. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, so... It definitely feels like it takes place after Endgame. Yeah. I know that's not really offering a lot of feedback. <laughs> well, as of this recording, I guess this past week at Comic-Con, they talked, people were, like, nutting their pants over the fact that Avengers Endgame has now beaten Avatar as, like, the biggest film of all time. Like, that really, it, it's such a weird, like, I feel like it's such a hollow victory. Like, it really doesn't prove anything. It doesn't prove that Endgame is a better movie than... I mean, I'm also not defending Avatar. Avatar sucked balls. But, like, <laughs> it's such a weird thing to be proud of for people to be like, I contributed to this movie making a shit zillion dollars. Yeah. Well, especially when you think about the fact that uh, Fox, which released Avatar, is now owned by Disney anyway. I know. So it's like, <laughs> all it is is just them fucking beating themselves. It's like just a big old studio circle jerk. <laughs> But whatever, at the risk of being a Marvel hater again, which I tend to end up being on this podcast, I mean, not by choice. You just gotta embrace it. You gotta <laughs> embrace your character, man. Um, yeah, so I guess that movie that they liked. <laughs> that shit-ass movies all those stupid nerds liked. Uh, but, you know, over this past weekend at Comic-Con, Marvel also, you know, talked about the releases that they're gonna have for Phase 4. Yep. Which is going to include a shit ton of shit I've never seen before. So it includes an, what looks like a buddy cop movie with Falcon and Winter Soldier. That's uh, going to be on Disney Plus, though, right? Oh, okay, so that's the other thing, is now that everyone has their own streaming service now, because there's a shit zillion streaming services. So what movies are going to be on the streaming service? Well, I know that the show, the WandaVision series, the Hawkeye series... Oh, and those I are all believe, series? Yeah, and I believe that... Uh, Falcon and Winter Soldier is actually going to be... They're all going to be on Disney+. Plus. Fuck, I don't need to shell out more... Mo so is the Loki series, by the way. Oh, oh wait, is it going to have the actual actors? Though? Yeah. Oh, okay, that kind of makes it better, yeah. I guess. Disney is spending a lot of money on getting actors from the films to play characters on the small screen. It sucks because they can never do anything else now. That's a, they're essentially being locked <laughs> into those rules for the rest of their lives. Um, 
At least, well, you know, while they're still young. The MCU is finally gonna, they're finally gonna uh, venture into horror with the Doctor Strange sequel. I'm actually really excited about that. I'm very excited about that. At first I thought it was gonna suck. Well, it all depends. How hard are they willing to go? If If they can make it a good looking horror movie... Even if it's PG thirteen, like it's still it's still like pass, right? Well, James Wan tried the very quickly canceled Swamp Thing series, which I believe you saw a Wan? couple episodes of that you loved. Oh yeah, I fucking love that series. But I also I'm a huge Swamp Thing mark. Yeah. But it was also really cool if you're into body uh, body horror and stuff like that. Yeah. So th- this is uh, I forget exactly what the director's name is, but the director for uh, Doctor Strange two is a horror movie director. All right. So, so they are they are gonna try to uh, milk that genre, which I think is gonna be a nice break. Like that's the thing with me too. It's like it's not that I really want to go out of my way to want to hate these Marvel movies. I just want to see something a little different because the formula is starting to get a little tired. And I think that's what's really interesting when you watch. All right, now I'm gonna come off as the fucking like the the mark for DC, right? But that's why all their original programming, like Doom Patrol and uh, Doom Patrol and Swamp Thing, were so interesting. It's because yeah, they're superhero stories, but they're using them to tell different types of genres. You know, like but Doom I, Patrol was. But more I like I like the idea of Marvel TV on this Disney, even though like yes, it's another fucking streaming service. I do actually like the idea of taking some of this stuff to uh television oh no that's perfectly fine but i think my my point is is that you can they you can use superheroes to tell more than just fucking superhero stories the reason why winter soldier worked was because it was a fucking spy movie using captain america you know the reason why ragnarok or thor ragnarok worked was because it was a comedy like you're telling you're using these characters and you're getting them out of their element and you're trying to tell something new and even far from home like when when we tried to record this episode you made an amazing point that this is essentially like a John Hughes movie yeah well the first one was like the director John Watts in Spider-Man Homecoming made a lot greater point of it of the fact that he was inspired by the movies of John Hughes when he was making this film which I kind of saw you know like here and there I think I see it surprisingly, even though I don't know they were going for that motif this time. I kind of it comes off more here. It comes off way more yeah. here. Like uh, there are like real references to stuff I've seen in John Hughes movies, like uh, you know the idea of the fact that that it's like the perfect date that's supposed to kind of this is going to be the moment where MJ is going to fall in love with me, that whole plot that Peter has. Yeah. You know, a lot of that stuff really is out of something in a John Hughes movie. And it comes off way less rapey than it does in most John Hughes movies. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like, if you watch a movie like 16 Candles, it's highly problematic now because Anthony Michael Hall essentially date rapes a woman. Are you talking shit about Long Duck Dong? No, Long Duck Dong is racist. Yeah, and well, he was point also is, again, all these movies were problematic <laughs> is our point, okay? You know what, I will say that the one that I really still love, um, She's actually the two of them, that wasn't a John Hughes yeah, movie. Yeah, but it's a good teen movie, <laughs> fuck you. But the two John Hughes movies from the 80s that I really love are um, Pretty in Pink Yeah. and Some Kind of Wonderful, which... Never saw it. That one is awesome because it stars the unfortunate, you know, the guy whose career unfortunately didn't pan out, Eric Stoltz. Yes. Who everyone will remember as... From Mask. No. No. Rock. No. Fuck. He was the guy who was cast in Back to the Future, 
before he immediately got fired and then they like filmed a movie with Michael J. Fox. Uh, <laughs> and I've seen like uh, I've actually seen test footage of it. Yeah, the test footage and it's it, it does it does definitely look different. He was also in the fly too. There was a fly too? <laughs> but you probably know him most famously from Pulp Fiction. Who's he in Pulp Fiction? He was uh, John Travolta's. He was John Travolta's drug dealer. Oh! Except that by the time we got to Pulp Fiction, he grew his hair out really long, and he, and he had a fat. scraggly like beard, and he looked like the dude. <laughs> yeah. So for heroin. <laughs> so definitely worth checking out. Uh, at some point, I recommend it to anybody out there. Uh, some kind of wonderful. Go watch it. And also, go watch Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Which, to be honest, like. We probably should watch sooner than later because Once Upon a Time in Hollywood's also going to be coming out soon. Well, All right, then. let's get out of the shop talk and let's get back into this movie here. So, what was your experience watching this film? Uh, I watched this movie on Fourth of July, which was several several weeks ago at this point. I know. It's, oh shit! It was like three weeks ago. <laughs> um, my wife and I actually had absolutely no plans on Fourth of July, and by the time we had finally left the house, which was like at mid afternoon, almost four o'clock. Um, we were gonna go have dinner or like a late lunch early dinner and um our daughter fell asleep in the car so we (laughs) made the decision that this would be the perfect opportunity for us to go watch a movie yep so we brought her completely limp and sleeping in my wife's arms into the movie theater and the moment we sit down like with popcorn and all that kind of stuff like she woke up and she started eating, and she made it through two-thirds of the movie yeah. before we had to leave because she just had a meltdown and we couldn't hang in there anymore. What? You're telling me the last third of the movie wasn't toddler-friendly? <laughs> yeah, and unfortunately there were some parts of the movie that did kind of scare her, particularly the elemental stuff. Uh, it's just a little bit too much stimulation for her at that age, so... You mean for her, like, 17-month-old brain? <laughs> it couldn't handle giant elemental creatures of destruction? So, the next week after that, um, we had the opportunity, without my daughter, because she was uh, being taken care of, you know, by uh, by either my parents yep, or... Yep, pumped her full parents, of baby Motrin of and dropped her off somewhere. <laughs> yeah, we basically had her... Uh, be taken care of and we went ahead and we like, watched it taken care of like no obviously she's <laughs> okay, here just making sure yeah. <laughs> I'm like I don't know I didn't know I didn't know you want to put out a put out a hit and whack your daughter I've so, been watching a lot of Sopranos so we did finally watch it and uh so I feel like I, I I have a really good handle on a good chunk of this movie anyway at this point what was your experience with it Says the guy that was like, oh, I still have to do research. <laughs> but anyway, my experience with this movie... Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I fucking I always just... <laughs> have to do research, no matter how many fucking times I watch the movie. <laughs> fucking asshole. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to antagonize you so much. Well, who but... the fuck up and tell me what your stupid-ass experience was? <laughs> <laughs> tell me how fucking stupid it was so I can make fun of you now. <laughs> so, um, yeah, my girlfriend was like, hey... You want to go watch a movie? And I was like, but you hate going to the movies. And then it's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Far From Home was coming out. And she loves Tom Holland. Like, for some reason, my girlfriend's, like, favorite superhero is Spider-Man. But of all the Spider-People, her favorite one is uh, Tobey Maguire. And I was like, that's how I knew you were the one. 
Mm-hmm. And then, uh, but she also really likes Tom Holland. And I just really feel bad because Andrew Garfield's always going to be everyone's least favorite Spider-Man. Yeah. We're not going to go into that, but when you have a 30-year-old trying to play a 15-year-old, it's just never going to work out. Yeah. I mean, it could just he could just have, like, Timothy Dalton, like, James Bond syndrome, where it's like, he was... He was definitely a decent actor. They just put him in a couple of not great films, and it just didn't catch on. Yeah, but we went we went to one of those uh, we went to we went to one of those theaters where it was like um kind of the 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 kind of theaters that you go you sit on a couch and then like they bring the food out for you right and it was really cool like it was just really comfortable and we got and yeah like. I don't know what else to tell you. It was very simple, simple viewing. Not nearly as eventful as yours. Yeah. Um, so this is, like I said, the end of Phase 3 is what I'm hearing. Phase 4 is the one that's coming up with all these streaming services. Yep. And, uh, and oh, also lastly, the at Comic-Con they announced that Mahershala Ali is now joining the MCU as he's going to uh, play Blade. In, yeah, I guess it's gonna be the either the end of Phase Four or beginning of Phase Five. Well, I guess I don't know. Phase Four feels like it's gonna be weird because I think Phase Four a lot of it's gonna be throwing a bunch of shit at the wall and seeing what sticks. Yeah, Phase Four is the only phase that's not gonna be headlined by an Avengers film, and that's what's really interesting. But you know, you have you have Thor, you which have- I'm fine with because I'm just I'm sorry I am done with Avengers movies. You kind of went about as big as you can go, and I don't need to see anymore. You say that now, but no. wait till they do a battle world where they had to fight Avengers from other worlds. No, please don't. Yeah, it's gonna happen. They've already bring, done Civil War. They're gonna and bring you've everyone back. Endgame, just stop it. Nah, dude, they're gonna bring everyone. It's gonna be great. Shut oh. up. Oh, they got the Eternals. Yeah, and you know what's really interesting is they're really scraping deep. Like they're they're reaching deep. They're picking up like the Eternals, right? And I was like, holy shit. This is weird. This is gonna be this is gonna be interesting. Then they they're doing Shang Chi, doing a kung fu movie. Um, so yeah, they, I have a feeling they're just gonna be doing a lot of experimental stuff. So that's why I'm actually really excited for Phase Four. Really excited for um, to see uh, Mahershala Ali. Oh god, that that one was really hard. I, I know that the history of this podcast, I've not been able to say his name. <laughs> Mahershala Ali is Blade. I'm really excited about that. Um, this film actually, like, you know, it, it, it really is very much a follow-up to Endgame. Uh, in this film, at the beginning, we discover that the moment in time where Thanos snapped his fingers and made half the world disappear is, uh, referred to as the blip in this entire so movie. So fucking lame. I mean, The whatever. blip sounds so stupid. It sounds very inconsequential. Like, <laughs> like <laughs> hey, remember that thing where everyone just, like, half the world disappeared? Yeah, yeah it like, seems yeah. like it would be, like, a world disaster that probably deserves a bit more of a dramatic name. Like, imagine all the pilots that disappeared <laughs> and all those planes that crashed somewhere. Like, the, the terrifying implications of half the, like, population of the planet disappearing... There should be so much catastrophe that yeah. happens where it's like maybe a maybe like less than a sixth of the original population is left. Like okay, Endgame kind of wanted to deal with that aspect of it where you see Ant-Man walking through a weird post 
apocalyptic version of San Francisco when he comes back. Yeah. Um, from being stuck where he what in the dimension he was in. He was in the uh, microverse. The yeah. Universe. Fuck. So he quantum comes- realm. There we go. I knew it was gonna come up to me. So yeah, he could, like they they tried to do that in this one. I feel like they don't even really want to try that hard. To no, do that. in this one they were just like, "Hey guys, the world is back to normal. <laughs> Everyone's back. Ignore completely ignore the fact that having half our population just suddenly come back would super overextend our capabilities of maintaining the planet. <laughs> don't even think about that. Just watch. Hey, hey, look, Tom Holland's doing something goofy. Hey, hey, good all the good thing that all the important characters from the first movie are <laughs> were all blipped away, so they all get to come back. At the they same come back day. as kids, and all these people who don't matter are all old as shit now. Uh, the only character, well, the most notable character that's gone is Liz, who was the, uh, Vulture's daughter in part one. Yeah, but that's because she hiding. That's true. But she's also probably, she may have all, she have, may be the only one that didn't blip away. <laughs> she's probably dead. No, oh God, no. <laughs> I'm just saying, she just may be 21 years old and in college by now anyway, so. They do make that joke when Flash was like trying to order alcohol and they're like he's only 16 yeah and he was like oh come on <laughs> that, that, that one made me laugh but it's really interesting and they do they do um address the fact that people are coming back right because the fact that aunt may works for a non-profit organization that's about you know setting up housing for people that suddenly lost their homes because they were blipped away yeah i mean that's that's one thing that you can think about is just the fact that there was probably a lot of people that were displaced by this yeah there was a lot of families that were broken up by this it's why it was such a dramatic scene when cap was you know leading that support group full of people in yeah um but again, this movie does not want to go that deep into it. it uh, right from the beginning, they kind of give you the idea of the tone that we're going to take here. When they play uh, eh, the song from The Bodyguard, <laughs> I Will Always Love You, the Whitney Houston song. Nah, t- I loved that they chose to open it with that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got to listen to that song play as the Marvel Studios logo comes up. I thought it was, yeah, <laughs> I guess it was good. <laughs> but, uh, alright, right off the bat... Like, it was cool. They do the in-memoriam, right, for Cap. They do it for uh, Vision, Tony, and uh, Black Widow, right? But I'm just like, the big thing about this movie is if you did not like Iron Man or if Iron Man was not your favorite Avenger, holy shit, do they make him look like Jesus fucking Christ in this movie? Yeah, he is a godlike figure in this film because every place that you go to in Europe there are shrines to Tony Stark. Yep. And even there, like, while he's there, like, in New York, like, it's a huge deal that Tony died. And I get, yeah, it makes sense. It's probably public knowledge that he, he sacrificed himself. But it was like, for a point, at a certain point, I was just like, okay, come on. Let's all calm down here a little bit. He's not like Gandhi or Mother Teresa or Mother Teresa and Gandhi's love child. <laughs> What I did know more than anything coming into this movie was that um, that Mysterio was going to be the villain of the film, and that he was cast, and that he was uh, the casting of him was Jake Gyllenhaal. Yeah. So now, as I think we we talked about it before, officially all three principal characters in the movie Zodiac are now like members of the MCU. The weirdest connection. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, it's definitely. It's like so random. It almost, you know, what it reminds me of. It reminds me of like 
the fact that there's so many actors from The Simpsons in the 98 Godzilla movie. Yeah. It just doesn't make any sense. Like, there was three actors from that movie that were in there. Yeah, it's just one of those fun little weird-ass factoids. So, let's get started. You know, when the movie opens... Or, the movie opens up with Quentin Beck fighting an Earth Elemental in Mexico. So, Nick Fury and Mariah Hill are tracking down these weird, like, cataclysmic events all around the world. And Quentin Beck is this hero from another universe who... Or at least that's how he presents himself. Spoilers! <laughs> this whole movie's about misdirection. It's like you learn nothing. This whole movie is spoilers. This whole... Shut up, dude. God, why There's no right? way that you came into this movie not thinking that what was going to happen yeah, happened. Here's the thing. I knew that, but that's because I'm a fucking nerd. I'm talking about for your casual folks... That had no, like, my, my girlfriend had no idea that that turn was going to happen. And that was why it was that much more satisfying. <laughs> but yeah, fine. Since Angel wants to be a fucking curmudgeon, Mysterio's the bad guy, guys. Remember that. But the backstory he tells S.H.I.E.L.D. is that he's a displaced hero from another dimension. And that after Thanos fucked up... Our universe had opened holes to other universi, universes, and he just fell through, and now he's trying to save us from elementals that destroyed his home planet. So, as a result, S.H.I.E.L.D. and the rest of, well, Nick Fury and the rest of S.H.I.E.L.D. are now trying to recruit a whole new team of Avengers to be able to fight this cataclysmic elemental attack. Are they, though? No, they're kind of bad at their job. <laughs> they're really just looking for Peter Parker. No, they're trying to create a team. A team of two people. <laughs> it's a two-man team, dog. A team of, like, Beck and Peter Parker. Meanwhile, Peter... Peter's had a rough couple months. He lost his mentor, and he's been... Uh, and, you know, he came back from being blipped five years ago. Like you said, thankfully, all his best friends and love interests is, you know, also got blipped away. So anyone of any consequence to Homecoming is, you know, essentially still in high school. However, they did play around with the fact that not everybody got blipped away. And a lot of the people that didn't get blipped away grew up. Yeah. And one of... Uh, I want to say the true antagonist of this film it actually grew up and got hot. And we're talking about Brad. Yeah. <laughs> Fuck you, Brad. <laughs> so Brad is one of... He was a scrawny kid that turned into a total hunk. He's a very attractive, ethnically ambiguous character. Why you gotta bring race into this? There you go, being an SJW. <laughs> Bringing race into shit where race doesn't need to be there. Those goddamn cook wars. All oh, those goddamn mar cucks at Marvel. <laughs> oh, what? I'm surprised they didn't put women in this movie, too. There are women in this movie. Ah, oh, shit. Don't tell the cucks. I mean... <laughs> so anyway, Brad has... He's already making eyes over uh, Mary Jane, and he definitely... Or, I'm sorry. It's not MJ. Mary Jane. Shut up. I know. It was a test. <laughs> it's Michelle. Michelle is MJ. Okay, it's hard, alright? It takes some getting used to. Um, so, what this movie does that... Okay, if this would have been a movie of them in high school again, and I would have been thinking way too hard about like all the consequences of them blipping back, I probably would not have enjoyed this movie as much. Yep. The device that they're able to use that allows my brain... To not think about that is the fact that this entire movie takes place abroad. Summer vacation! <laughs> Woo! 
on a summer on a summer trip. So uh, it looks like the science club is going on some sort of science summer field trip. Fucking nerds. <laughs> so uh, Peter, Ned, uh, MJ, this Flash, guy Brad, Brad, Flash, who's back, um, and crap. What was the girl? The other girl's name. I don't think she was in... I mean, if she was in the first movie, I think she was just, like, just in those little, like, snippets of the of the TV show that they were all on. Betsy Ross? Nah. Wait, that's from, uh... <laughs> that's that, from The That's Hulk, from right? Incredible Hulk. <laughs> My bad. But yeah, so, pretty much just one of the... One of those other side characters also goes along with them. Yeah. Um... And oh, and also JB Smooth, baby. <laughs> yeah, JB Smooth is in it. Uh, the teacher who was the nerdy guy from Freaks and Geeks and is also in all those Judd Apatow movies. Martin yeah. Starr. Martin Starr. And he's in Silicon Valley, of course. Yeah, he was Guilfoyle, right? Yeah. So he's he he's comes back to reprise his uh, role as a teacher. I think one of the biggest missed opportunities in this movie is that we did not get the return of our personal favorite the gym teacher played by Hannibal Burris. No, wait, come back. <laughs> Betty, Betty Brandt. Oh. I knew it was, okay, sorry, that was really bugging me because I knew she did play a role originally in, like, original Spider-Man lore. She was in, I guess to, to keep it in the, you know, cinematic universe, she was Elizabeth Banks in the original Spider-Man movies, like Spider-Man oh. trilogy. Okay. So Betty Brant used to be the secretary for uh, Jay Jonah. Jay Jonah, yeah. So that's why this is her in high school. I gotcha. guess, you know. All right. So um, it there's also simultaneously while Peter's preparing for this trip to Europe, he is as we talked about before uh, helping May out, who now knows that he is Spider Man. She's totally cool with it. Like she has no <laughs> problem with him being Spider Man. She actually used it to her advantage in her job working at this MPO where she brings Spider-Man in for publicity. And he does, like, you know, he he, does, he works these special events and, like... I, that really does, I to be honest, it does stuff. make me think a little bit of that PS4 Spider-Man game. Because yeah. there, there is, like, there is a sub, the subplot of May, you know, running the soup kitchen. At Feast, And yeah. doing all the, you know, where she like, does all the charitable work and stuff like that. And that's what I was reminded of. Well, well, what I really like about it is it really branches, like, it, it kind of bridges the gap between old Spider-Man stories and new Spider-Man stories. Because, like, at maybe as, like, from 2012 till now, I don't know, I've also fallen off of Marvel for a bit. Like, that's all canon. Like, Aunt May got a shit ton of money and she put it into the Feast Center because she wants to help homeless people. Yeah. And that's when... Well, they also, they're doing this a lot with Aunt May because remember if we, when we watched... You mean in- Aunt Bay? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she's hot. <laughs> well, when we watched Into the Spider-Verse, you know, earlier this year also, like, she, in in that film, she's basically Alfred. Yeah, she and- was thick in that one too. I mean... <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's definitely, I like this much more modern portrayal of her. Uh, they do find a way to bring in the Uncle Ben storyline in the form of Peter dealing with the death of Tony. Um, they do also have a reference to Uncle Ben in the suitcase yeah. that Peter takes. Which the BF, is, uh, BFP for yeah. Benjamin Franklin Parker. So that's that's a nice way to bring it up without making any mention of it. Again, I don't need to see the third iteration of 
you know, Ben Parker getting murdered. The well, poor man. that's the thing. We did kind of see it when he got murdered by Space Hitler. <laughs> that's true, I guess, yeah. But um, what mm-hmm. I really... But now there's a new, like... Space Hitler. Oh, I mean... No, there's a new creepy step-uncle that's stepping into his life, and that's his relationship that is evolving with Happy Hogan. Hey, Peter. Hey, Peter. I'm just going to take a shot at your auntie. Yes. Where it's in the first movie, you know, obviously, like, Happy wanted very little, if not nothing, to do with Peter. Um, now he is... Definitely feels like he... I don't know, like, he They're feels... each other cope. Yeah, he feels like he has more of a responsibility to take care of him now that now that uh, Tony Stark is gone. And also, he's obviously attracted to Aunt May. One of the biggest themes in this movie is, is Peter good enough to replace Tony? Yeah. It's a thing that comes up several times, and it happens in this... It happens in the, uh, right in the beginning, right? When the reporters mob him, and they're like, Hey, are, does that mean you're going to be the new Iron Man? And then he like freaks out and he's just like, oh, oh, swings away. <laughs> like, but by the way, if I had web shooters, that would be how I escape every awkward situation. Well, it's funny because it's one of those things that really should bother me. And I definitely should find something negative about it and not like it. But it totally works for me because think of the Spider-Man that's been introduced into this Marvel Cinematic Universe. He's the he, sidekick. He really starts off as a peripheral character yeah. that just apparently just existed and gets pulled into Civil War in such a, like, just out of left field way. Yeah. That it feels natural that now that, you know, the original Avengers are going to kind of go away and not like make movies anymore. Yeah. This this really sets the stage for Spider-Man to kind of take his place, rightfully take his place in center stage. Which and, I feel like even in Homecoming, he didn't do. Oh, no. And I think I'm kind of glad that in Homecoming he didn't. Because this film is definitely about him coming into his own, right? Yeah. And, and I think the third one should really be... I think it's going to be the biggest one. Oh, it, yeah, totally. It has to be. It's, and the thing is, in the first one, like, he could... Like, the thing about Homecoming is that you knew if Peter could have fucked off and, you know, totally done whatever the hell he wanted. Because he knew at the end of the day, Tony wasn't going to come in and save him. And even at the end, right, when he didn't have his, like, his, uh, the, the suit that Tony gave him, like, there was always that feeling that Tony was going to come in and save him last minute. This one, right off the bat, Tony isn't coming back. <laughs> There's no. no way he can come back. So, for all intents and purposes, like, Peter's on his own. And it's just him and, pretty, like, most importantly, his own ingenuity and in trying to figure things out. And I think, like you were saying, like that's why Happy has so much of a uh, responsibility to, to the kid, not just because he's young, but also because he kind of is the one to set him up and have him become the new equivalent of an Iron Man. Maybe, you know, he doesn't want him to become the new Iron Man, but he does want him to become a hero, mm-hmm. you know? And he's the one responsible for that. So, so, I, so yeah. yeah, so Peter and his friends, they hop on an airplane to go to Venice. Yeah. Um, and this is where he and Ned are on the plane, and Ned is telling them that they should both be, like, bachelors, bachelors. in Europe. <laughs> because, uh, apparently, like, people love Americans overseas. Yeah. And, <laughs> yeah, come on. People love us big dick Americans. <laughs> um, but what's funny enough is that they, I guess, like, Peter wants... 
Ned to assist him in creating some sort of diversion that would allow uh, Peter to sit next to MJ. Uh, Ned ends up revealing that P- Peter has some sort of uh, allergy allergy to yeah. perfume, and uh, as soon as uh, Martin starts, pr- I don't even know what the teacher's name is. I'm just gonna call him Guilfoyle. <laughs> like, I hope you know that. As soon as Martin starts, like teacher character, like hears that he is a uh, him and JB Smooth. Like that's not what I'm gonna refer to them. <laughs> yeah. So as soon as they they see that that as soon as they hear catch wind that he is quote unquote allergic to perfume. That's where he sits next to the teacher, while um, handsome guy Brad ends up sitting next to MJ, and then Ned has to stay in his seat where he's sitting next to Betty. Betty. So Ned is a total boy, first of all, because even though he totally was like, "Hey, Peter, we're gonna go try to, you know, catch some sniz together as bachelors," he still went out and tried to help his boy get some play, and it, even though it didn't really work out. Hey, the big boys are winning in this universe. Hell yeah! As a fellow big boy, I am I am all for this. Literally, in like the what fifteen hour flight from Queens to Venice, like they're in a relationship. Well, that and then also Happy Hogan and Aunt May. Oh yeah! I'm telling you, this is the this is the this sum- is the year of the Chubs, man. It's the summer of fat boys. <laughs> Can we call the episode Summer of Fat Boys? <laughs> um, so yeah, they they end up, they arrive in Venice, uh, and Peter is awkwardly trying to find some time to get with MJ, and to be honest, like, MJ seems to have that same interest with Peter, she had that in the first film, Yep. and uh, they, but she just kind of, you know, plays she's aloof. She's trying to be, yeah, she's yeah. trying to be cool about it. It's really funny, because... It's like, it's interesting to see the role reversed, where usually it's the dude trying to be the cool guy, and, you know, the girl sometimes, like, the nervous one. It's funny, because, like, okay, when you are in high school, and you're interested in a girl, obviously you don't do this purposefully, because it would be fucking creepy, but there are moments where you catch yourself kind of, like, looking at someone that you're interested in, Mm -hmm. and it's just, like, they they make reference of that, where it's like, sometimes they both end up kind of looking at each other, and when the other one looks, that's when they look away. Like, there there is something very... Actual, real, like... If you guys love cringy high school bullshit as much as I do, this is for you. (laughs) This movie's chock full of cringy high school bullshit I used to do. (laughs) Of course I used to look at the, you know, unrequited... You know, the uh, object of my unrequited affection. And then awkwardly look away because I was too scared to say anything. (laughs) Um, But, unfortunately, his... uh, his plans get interrupted by the appearance of, I, I swear to God, Hydro like, Man. Yeah, like exactly. That's fucking Hydro Man, dude. <laughs> exactly, it was Hydro. Bad. Like if if I wasn't if I wasn't aware that you know that this was all that really it was gonna be Mysterio that's the villain, I would have thought, hey, this is their surprise. This is a uh, Hydro that exists in this universe now. And then you're like, oh, he kind of <laughs> sucks. <laughs> He's just a big bucket of water. Yeah. So it's it's he gets uh. He ends up getting fought off by uh, Mysterio, uh, who asks Peter... doesn't exactly ask Peter for help, but Peter offers himself for help and puts on that uh, Mardi Gras-looking mask. Yeah, the stupid (laughs) Mardi Gras mask. So pretty much, uh, Peter... He was completely resigned with not having to be Spider-Man on vacation. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, to the point where he didn't want to take a suit. He didn't want to take a suit. Aunt May packed it on accident... Well, not on accident, to surprise him. 
Mm-hmm. So he brings the suit to Europe, but he still refuses to wear it. So when they get attacked by, for lack of a better term, Hydro Man, he doesn't have a suit on him, so he has to wear this mask. But the cool thing is I love those stark web shooters that he can just, he, they're just watches. Like, it's essentially a watch, so he can wear them anywhere. Mm-hmm. So he's just jumping around, and he's helping. Uh, so while Mysterio's trying to fight off Hydro Man, Spider-Man is uh, essentially trying to keep the debris from Venice from crashing on any innocent yeah. people. He's, he's so, trying to minimize the casualties and, and uh, property damage. And for all you know, for all intents and purposes, it works out well. Like they make a good team. While you know Beck is clearly the more experienced at being a hero, like definitely Spider-Man's able to hold his own. So Fury tries to. Ah! So Fury tries to impart, or uh, he tries to recruit Spider-Man, or he tries to recruit Peter into uh, joining Shield. Shield, essentially, right? Which in the beginning they make a joke about it because he's calling, uh, he's calling Peter on his cell phone, and Peter decides that he's gonna send him straight to voicemail, and <laughs> and then Happy freaks out, and he's like, "You never forward, or he wasn't, you never, never send, ghost, you never yeah. ghost Nick Fury." You never ghost Nick Fury, and that's like the running joke. And then when go- when Fury finds out, he goes, are you trying to ghost me? Yeah. And it's hilarious because, like, like Fury does, you know, you gotta believe he's a super spy and he has no problem killing people. And here he is, like, arguing with this 16-year-old kid while a bunch of other 16-year-olds keep coming in and out of his hotel room. I do like the scene where he, like, tells Peter, uh... Where he like talks to Peter about how he should, you know, about how he should he can help them, and uh, Peter decides to say he's like, well, you know, he's like, I can't really help. He's like, I'm just a kid, and his response is, bitch, you've been to space. (laughs) (laughs) But it's true. He he almost like he stood his ground against Thanos and has been to space and came back, and it's like. Why, why do you think that's a good argument, Peter? <laughs> well, it's funny because in the first film in this series, like he is dying to be, work with the Avengers. He's dying to become an Avenger. And he can't wait to be a part of this fraternity. And it feels like the fatigue and the casualties of the Infinity War and yeah, the so- events of Endgame have kind of... I guess disillusioned him to it. Yeah, to the he's point 16. Where... He doesn't have enough time to be disillusioned about being a hero. If I were him, I would still be, Oh, God, I'm swinging! Woo! <laughs> well, it's funny, because, like, I know that, like, you know, being someone who reads DC Comics, like, there, there, there's lots of kind of angst that comes with the Robins in Batman's, you know. Like, as they get older, they start to get more, you know, angsty about about the stuff that they have to deal with and they're sidekicks yeah whereas like spider-man is expected to be the hero yeah but here he is also a sidekick you gotta remember he's trying to step out of iron man shadow yeah he's essentially iron man jr yeah which we said before yeah so um this is where where uh fury gives him edith right yes so edith are uh is essentially an ai that um that Tony created, which, what was it? Um, Even in death, I'm the hero. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> it's so fucking stupid. It's hilarious. At least it's in line with his character. Yeah. But holy shit, it's stupid. Yeah. So Edith essentially gives the user uh, control of all, all of like Stark Industries. Yeah, and like just like a shit ton of like satellite drones. Imagine. Imagine the, uh, the, oh my god, I, I can already hear Jose talking about how we, re- like, reference Batman so much, <laughs> but imagine the, in The Dark Knight, the thing that read everyone's, like, communication devices, and then add the ability to control satellites from space that shoot death drones. Yeah. That's essentially Edith. Yeah, like, this is not a world where people are gonna... Where people are gonna argue the morality or uh, or the ethics of using spy equipment. This is a world. This is a very much. Uh, you have a very front and center spy organization that has carried out several unsanctioned like missions in international places, and also where a private corporation has all our information and uses it very liberally. So oh. not too different from the real world. <laughs> oh, yeah, so the world we live in now. Yeah. Well, not to mention that, it's just like, I mean, that's not me dig- taking a dig at, like, Marvel or Spider-Man. Like, this is very much a world that's post-Patriot Act, where we just, because it's the way we grew up, we willingly just accept that government agencies have access to all of our most personal information. Yep, gotta give up some privacy if you want safety, baby. <laughs> and unless you're Tony Stark, you just take everyone's privacy and wipe your ass with it. Yeah. So, and he leaves, uh, or Tony leaves a note with the Edith glasses, which if I remember correctly is like something to the effect of choose, what is it, like choosing a new hero or some shit? Do you remember more or less what it says? Because no, no, but it's just essentially telling him that uh, that he chooses him. Mm-hmm. You know. So after after Peter chooses to decline the offer to join uh, to join Shield and wants to go back to being a kid, uh, Fury ends up uh, essentially telling him to go fuck himself. Well, he commandeers their field trip. He just No, he fucking hijacks the shit out of it. Yeah. He sends him to Prague. <laughs> and essentially because the air elemental, I think it was the one they were fighting. Yeah. Which which okay, so in Venice, they're staying at a very shitty hotel. Uh, this teacher obviously wasn't able to get them a good deal on anywhere that they were staying. So, it, in some ways, even though it, like, you know, even though Fury is hijacking his summer vacation, he is also, like, setting up Peter and his classmates in these fantastic, crazy, fancy hotels in other parts of Europe that they would not have gone to otherwise. No, I'm sorry. So, yeah, they end up sending him to Prague where they fight the fire elemental. But before they manage to get there, Peter's found in this compromising position... Where he needs to pick up his his oh, yeah. shield Spider-Man suit because obviously Spider-Man can't be in Europe the same time Peter's there. That's too obvious. Which I do love that they... They address that. They get to bring in the black Spider-Man costume and they make it very logical why he's doing it. And even though it's not the symbiote suit that all us nerds really like, it really reminds me of Spider-Man Noir. Just like... It's just like black tactical, black like... Just black on black, right? Mm-hmm. 
And then uh, he ends up picking up the suit from a field, uh, smoking hot female agent who <laughs> forces him to strip in front of him, or in front of her, <laughs> to which Brad finds out that he naturally assumes that, you know, Peter was, uh... Having, gonna have sex yeah, with a random older lady in He was Europe. gonna make the sex to this smoking hot Swedish chick. <laughs> And he immediately takes a picture, which, first of all, child porn. Second of all, <laughs> what the fuck, dude? And he threatens to show it to MJ, right? So, on their way over, or on their way to Prague, uh, Peter shows why he shouldn't have Edith and actually uses Edith in a way to try to. Uh, was he trying? He was trying to hack? Brad's phone, but accidentally launches a drone to kill Brad? Yeah. Those are two different things! And How do you fuck up that bad? And he's not able to, like... I mean, this is obviously a gag, right? Of course, because it's hilarious. He's not, able, yeah, yeah, to, yeah. He's not able to get it, uh, you know, to, to get the drone to, you know, to stop attacking him because he keeps getting interrupted by Flash who wants to take the glasses away. So Peter just socks him in the face jar. and knocks him out. Just and drops his ass. <laughs> and uh, my favorite he... part is that Betty's like, "Did you just punch Flash?" He goes, "No." <laughs> yeah, and then he distracts everyone by having them look out of the bus while he flies out of the roof to to, to, to pull the drone down with the web shooter and and no one but Tom Holland can pull off such a stupid goofy right. scene. I fucking loved it. It's something that totally shouldn't work for me, but it's working and I love it. And Again, if you look at it as the under the lens of a teen movie, it's fucking hilarious. It actually it feels in some of these moments it feels less teen movie and really more sitcom. Yeah, like, I can see that, yeah. Like, that is the point of a sitcom, is to put characters in outlandish situations. <laughs> like a drone about to attack some dude on the back of a bus. Um, I do like, after he comes back in, because Peter's got the crazy hair, and with the crazy hair and the very obvious Robert Downey glasses, yeah. he looks even more like a, a junior version of Iron Man than ever <laughs> in that moment. So, they get to Prague, and it's the at the Festival of Lights, the... The, the the I'm sorry, the field trip goes to the opera instead of going to the fucking awesome light festival yes, going on. Which which Peter takes should take the blame for that because he wanted them to be out of harm's way. Yeah. And so that is why he like had them booked into the opera where nobody is there. Yeah. <laughs> and everyone's outside. And of course they're kids, so they leave and they abandon the opera. Peter also leaves, but that's so that he can go do his hero shit. So him and Beck work together to fight the fire elemental so the rest of the kids are essentially i think they go to the they're just there to be in danger pretty much because i think it's like it's betty and ned and mj and mj they all go to like the 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 fair area yeah basically like the courtyard area like this this Europe set, it, to me, it feels like one set yeah, that keeps getting dressed up yeah, like, yeah, differently. Yeah. It just like is shown to look different each time. Like, and they're on the Ferris wheel while Beck is fighting the fire elemental, and then Peter is trying to like direct the elemental around. And as it gets bigger and bigger, Beck finally uh, says he needs to do what needs to be done and It's important to note that oh. Beck is the only one fighting these uh, elementals. Oh, yeah, because Peter can't get close to it. Yeah. 
because it's on fire. You can't really touch it. So he he has to throw stuff. He has to uh, like he can't actually punch it. So mm-hmm. he has to throw stuff at it. And he also has to be like on the side trying to minimize the damage of what it's doing, much like he did in Venice. And he's trying to help his friends, of yes. course. Which, of course, he gets identified by Ned, who needs to make up a quick lie as the Night Monkey. (laughs) (laughs) So it's Mysterio and the Night Monkey versus the Fire Elemental. Which, like, one of my favorite memes coming out of this, and I think Jose is the one that sent it to us, was the uh, Spider-Man 90s cartoon logo, except it says Night Monkey instead. (laughs) And then, uh... And then, um... So Beck... Uh, in order to stop the fire elemental, decides to sacrifice himself and pumps himself full of weird green juice <laughs> and just like dive bombs into the elemental's chest, causing a huge explosion. And now Peter has seen two mentor figures die. Well, or so and, we think. And yeah, you and you think that Beck has sacrificed himself and that it was the ultimate sacrifice that he made because he told Peter that he came from another dimension where uh, his wife and daughter were taken from him. And mind you, this whole time, while Peter doesn't want to do this, Beck is actually kind of the shoulder for him to lean on and really talk about his insecurities as a hero and telling him actually how much, you know, he was like Beck telling Peter how much he respects him for being able to shoulder this burden so young and how much he wishes he had someone like him on his home world yeah. like someone he could depend on which brings me to this point in terms of live action spider-man this is my second favorite movie to spider-man 2 now mm-hmm. um mostly because what i love most about spider-man 2 which is my favorite movie in this franchise still is the really great mentor-pupil relationship that get instantly established and feels very credible between Doc Ock and uh, Peter. Mm -hmm. And the same thing here, right? Like, it's a very much... Like, Beck very easily fills in for Tony Stark here and really doesn't have any of the... You know, his personality is so different from the bombastic personality that Robert Downey has that he just... He does feel more like someone that Peter would want to relate to. Beck feels like... He's the best parts of Captain America and Iron Man. He's like the cool stepdad. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, no, not even that. He feels like the like the cool stepbrother, the one that buys you beer, <laughs> but lets you go to college parties, but he doesn't let you mac on chips. That's true, because <laughs> uh, Jake Gyllenhaal has a look of him to where, yes, he is approaching middle age, if not already in middle age, but he still has a very young face. Yeah. He, so he he both feels like... An older sibling or parent to Peter while also feeling like a contemporary somehow at the same time. And it's really interesting, you know? And and at this point, uh, Beck... Ex- or he ex- Nick Fury offers him or extends him the offer to joining the, the, the S.H.I.E.L.D. and essentially jump-starting the new Avengers initiative. Meanwhile... Oh, which also, sorry, before we jump into that... Yeah. Um, I what I like the cast the reason the meta reason why I like the casting of Jake Gyllenhaal is because I don't remember if it was for Spider Man two or three, but he around the time of those movies was dating uh, Kirsten Dunst, mm. and when it looked like at some point that Tobey Maguire would not come back, he was gonna step in as uh, he Peter? was one of the people that Kirsten Dunst had kind of 
recommended to the studio or Sam hmm, I wonder why. <laughs> but you know what? I actually wouldn't have hated that. I wouldn't no. have hated uh, Jake Gyllenhaal as uh, as Peter. Yep. And, and for since I'm a DC guy, there was a while, uh, like some time ago, where people were floating the idea that uh, Ben Affleck would get replaced by Jake Gyllenhaal in Matt Reeves' Batman film. Oh yeah, that would have been cool. Before they ultimately went with Robert Pattinson, which is fine. <laughs> oh wow! Moving on. <laughs> no, I mean it's not a no, Batman I mean, review. <laughs> Let's no, I mean no, it's not that it's a Batman review. It's just you have a very hot take on the internet. <laughs> but anyway, so Fury gives. Oh god, he fucking rips into he rips into Peter Parker about how he's not meant to be a hero. Yeah, and how. Tony probably made a mistake picking him to be his successor and all this shit. And so Beck takes him out for a beer? Yeah. <laughs> Which well, I guess you're in Europe. You can't, he technically can't drink. But no, he no, no. Well, Beck to. is the only one who drinks. Peter's drinking a lemonade. Pussy. Because they even make a joke, too, where, like, I, I forget what Peter says, and then... Uh, no, Beck he asks for... He doesn't Beck ask for looks it. at him, and then he goes... He goes... He's like, you might have had a little too much lemonade. That's right. Yeah. So he could have, uh... You know, he pretty much he takes him out, and he kind of helps build him up, reestablish confidence, and most importantly, he tells him, go, tell him, MJ, how you feel. And then at that moment, Peter's, Peter decides he's that Beck is the guy that needs to have Edith. Yeah. So he willingly gives over Edith, and he goes, and he's going to tell MJ exactly how he feels about her. And then comes one of the best reveals in freaking... Marvel Cinematic Universe history. And I'm talking even better than freaking... What's his name? Zemo revealing that he was the one that orchestrated Winter Soldier killing uh, killing uh, Tony Stark's parents. And that's when... Uh, yeah. No, yeah, shut up. No, this, no, 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 that makes this, sense. Oh, okay, cool. Because to me, that... To me, that, that uh, the effectiveness of that twist is way overblown for me. Yeah. So... So it's like, suddenly the, the whole fucking veil drops and this bar is this well-lit nice busy bar turns into like a fucking dank looking rape shack and then there's like a bunch of fucking suited nerds just sitting around drinking beer and then suddenly beck's cool fucking costume turns into a weird like green i green got suit. when i saw this i got mandarin flashbacks i was like yeah Iron <laughs> three, where they were setting up ben kingsley as like the ultimate bad guy only to have him revealed to be a fucking punchline it was and i was a little concerned that that's where we were going here but no 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 they did not go that way and I fucking loved it. They and you know it's revealed that Beck is actually a disgruntled old Stark employee. And the other people who were part of his crew were also people who were in previous Iron Man films. Just everyone's in the background. Yeah. And that's what's really cool. So Beck was actually the person that created, I believe in Civil War it was revealed. It was that um augmented reality kind of like projection room that creates uh it creates environments based on your memories and p and uh tony used it to have that conversation with his dad b mm -hmm. the day he died right yeah but he <laughs> called it fart no he called it barf oh barf i thought it was fart <laughs> i would have preferred fart anyway he calls it barf 
And uh, according to Beck, he takes complete credit for it. Even though Beck was the one that wanted to use it in very, very amoral ways. The guy who creates the drones is the assistant to Obadiah Stane. That's right. In Iron Man 1. Mind you. So, and who gets yelled at by Obadiah saying that uh, Tony built this in a cave in Afghanistan. Uh, I love so that why they can't that you do it? Yeah, yeah. And uh, so it does. It is. It is kind of a nice full circle uh, that he is pretty much the guy who built the drones. Yep. So all these people, in some way, shape, or form, felt slighted against uh, Tony Stark. So in order to get their revenge on him, essentially what they were going to do is they created Mysterio as a superhero. They were going to manufacture these cataclysmic events all over Europe. People were going to die, but here comes Mysterio to save the day, all the while becoming the most powerful person in the in the world because he's the one that now controls Edith. Mm-hmm. And using Edith, he can make money? Well, essentially, I, guess. Yeah, I think the idea is that essentially if he becomes a hero, then he is going to get all the attention that he wants, and because of his genius... Point he's is, he's kind of crazy. A- yeah, like, I mean, he wants it for money, power, and everything that everyone wants, right? Yep. Um, I will say this. I like this reveal. Um, I like that they chose to go this way. We know that in the comics, uh, Mysterio is the ma- is a master of illusion. He's a special effects master, and then... Which, yeah, cast which, yeah, illusions Which, in shit. a modern world, projecting... Uh, digital images into a real location is, like, that is modern illusions. And you use drones to do it. You're essentially creating reality, right? Right. And um, the other thing, too, is this is the last time they can do this. Mm -hmm. Uh, They did this in part one where the vulture was trying to get back at Tony Stark and essentially took alien tech uh, to kind of stick it to to, uh, Stark... Uh, because they lost work after the events of Avengers 1, right? Mm-hmm. I thought and it was S.H.I.E.L.D. Sure, yeah. Nah, you're like, it's whatever. Yeah, <laughs> come on. I, but I mean, like... The, the I, know, fact I know that, what you mean. I yeah, know what the mean. fact that these are, like, people who are personally victimized somehow, in yeah. some way, it's people being by the Avengers and Stark, some way, yeah. um, they can't do this again. So I'm hoping by the time we get to MCU Spider-Man 3... That we come nah, up with the, a different kind of villain. No, nah, it's gonna happen again because you got to remember the Avengers are really bad at their jobs. <laughs> they're the Avengers. They don't have pre- they're, they're not the preventers. Okay, <laughs> remember fucking Sokovia? They super fucked that one up. Yeah. So yeah, as long as they keep fucking up, there's all you're doing is creating more villains, just like the United States. Hi oh. <laughs> anyway. So, MJ, being a smarty pants that she is, essentially puts two and two together, finally figures out that Peter is Spider-Man. And when she confronts him, they find out that the projector works. Yes. You know, because she was actually... I think MJ was able to get a piece of the projector. Yes, because there's one point in the uh, battle in Prague where Peter's trying to web to the Ferris wheel, and this web ends up not... Uh, attaching itself to anything and you don't know why the web didn't reach where it was supposed to go and that's because it was a camouflage drone. Yeah. So um, so the projector on one of the drones falls out during that battle and MJ is the one that picks it up without knowing exactly what it is. So MJ and Peter tinker with it and they actually find a video of the air elemental fighting back. 
That's when they're able to put two and two together and they figure out Beck is actually a fraud and he's going to use Edith to what ends they don't know. Yeah. Important to note that Beck actually doesn't want to hurt Peter Parker at all. He actually does like Peter Parker. Yep. He respects him for being intelligent and kind of, you know, defends him out loud when he kind of gets Ripped dirty open, looks yeah. from, from S.H.I.E.L.D. for, you know, for being, being a kid. Interested. Yeah. <laughs> so it's So he very clearly doesn't want to kill him. Um, but he does feel like he needs to do anything he can to keep up this illusion because he said to himself, to his partners, that uh, Nick Fury is one of the most uh, paranoid people he's ever seen in his life. <laughs> yeah. So Peter ends up running, or he tries to get in contact with Fury and tries to uh, tell him about Beck. And... While Fury and, Mar- and Maria Hill are at a... They're in, like, this bit, like... It's assumed to be, like, a shield building, right? And then suddenly, you know, uh, the illusion drops. And then it's Peter and Nick Fury in, like, this vacant construction area. Well, right away it feels a little weird to me. Because, supposedly, I don't think we're in a world where S.H.I.E.L.D. has all these outposts anymore. They don't have that reach anymore. Because Winter Soldier made it very clear that a lot of the resources from S.H.I.E.L.D. were the fact that they were inter- infiltrated by HYDRA. Yep. So, it, it, that was the first part of it where it felt a little strange to me. Mm-hmm. And then, I will say that the illusion scene... Um, where Mysterio is just like putting out all this wild imagery just to, torturing yeah. to scare the shit out of Peter is one of my favorite sequences in the it Spider-Man was film so fucking cool um, it so, felt like something out of the 90's cartoon series and I mean that in the best possible way so yeah in case you guys don't remember it it's just this really cool scene where like Mysterio's throwing like he's throwing like mirror images of Spider-Man he's throwing like zombie Tony Stark he's like doing he's attacked by all these other Spider-Man Spider-Man. He, it's just really cool seeing all meant to fuck with Spider-Man to the point where it's and it's all meant as a distraction because this entire time Peter thinks he's fighting these things off when in reality uh, Mysterio is uh, pushing him over to some train tracks, putting him in the direction of an oncoming train, and you know getting almost killed when he gets smacked by this train. Right. Well, even one of the illusions that he was seeing was one of the plans that Peter had was to. Ask May out, ask MJ out, while they were on top of the Eiffel Tower, and there's a scene in it that where it kind of shows you an omen of what that would have looked like when she was about to get thrown off the Eiffel Tower. Oh, and it also that's felt right. it also felt like something out of Sam Raimi's Spider-Man One. Yeah, well. so, when uh, MJ gets thrown off the Brooklyn Bridge. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's 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 an impressive sequence. It's really cool. The him getting hit by a train is brutal. Um, Doesn't also- die. Manages to save himself. Right. So it's also important to note that much like in fucking Spider-Man 2, which Angel Circle jerks himself to, uh, for some reason, Peter's having problems with the Peter Tingle. <laughs> yes. <laughs> or the Spider-Sense is renamed in this film as Peter Tingle. So maybe if he would have eaten a chocolate cake, he would have been fine. Oh, remember that part? Oh yeah, <laughs> this chocolate cake brings all his powers back. Yeah, it's yeah. such a good plot point. I fucking love it. You know that's not that's not really true. It's that's, pro- and you know what? It probably is, and that's why it's fucking stupid. 
I will I will not stand for Spider-Man 2 slander on this podcast. Yeah, well, it's coming. So. I swear to fucking God. <laughs> I, I can't will. wait till we actually watch Spider-Man 2 so I can talk about how stupid that scene is. I'm gonna fucking sock you in the mouth Good. that episode. It's just gonna be a fucking hour and a half, like, audible fight. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the train does feel like a clear callback to uh, Spider-Man 2. Um, if only he was, like, a Christ-like figure and stopped it using Oh limbs. my fucking god, please don't start... <laughs> do not bag that scene, because it's actually my favorite scene in the Spider-Man series. Hey, careful, he's a hero. Yeah, that's right. That is exactly right. That is exactly right. That movie captures <laughs> post-9-11, like, unity that everyone in this country had for, like, that period of several years after better than any other movie that I could possibly tell you about. Oh, he's just a kid. <laughs> Can't be older than my son. So Peter <laughs> ends up passing out in this train, in this film, and he actually wakes up uh, in a jail with a bunch of... Fucking soccer hooligans! <laughs> yeah. I was like, fuck yeah, dude. Very polite soccer hooligans. <laughs> who don't even want to, like, get out of prison here. I know, after, like, they, like, Peter's shirtless, and one of them, like, one of the drunk dudes... Well, not like, prison, he's obviously in the drunk he's tank. A, yeah, he's in the drunk tank, but <laughs> one of the dude, like, Peter's shirtless, and one of the dudes, like, gives him his jersey. <laughs> so, oh, Peter ends up breaking out of jail, and I think the guys stay in, right? Like, they don't Yeah, leave. the other guys stay in, and the, uh, and the guard that's supposed to be watching the jail cell is wearing the night monkey mask. That's right. He's like phone. fucking around. <laughs> so Peter manages to escape and he calls Happy Hogan who comes and saves him. Uh, picks him up. Puts him in the jet. And this is probably one of my favorite scenes. Is Happy and Peter having the heart to heart on the plane. Being, you know, he tells It him, starts off really rough. Yeah. This scene starts off, and what I mean by that is starts off bad. Yeah, it does. Like, the acting is shit in the beginning of this scene. It's where awkward. They're both, where they're both, like, forcing these emotions about how much they miss Tony. Yeah. Look, the reason why this is spo- this all this shit all exists is because Tom Holland ad-libbed an awesome part of Infinity War. Maybe the best part of Infinity War. He ad-lib- ad-libbed it himself. Where he was telling, you know, Tony Stark, Mr. I Stark, I don't go. feel good, no, I don't want to no. go. And ever since then, they've had to make it so that they have this, like, brotherly bond where they love each other. What? What? No, fuck you! That started in Homecoming! When, when... Homecoming? When Tony very clearly says, if you mess up, that's fine, right? But if... What was it? He goes, if you could have died today, who's that on? That's on me. And he gets sad. And he goes, and I'm just not going to let that happen. So they've been pushing this for a while, dude. Okay, but I don't buy it. And especially in the beginning of the sequence, I don't fucking buy it. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's awkward, but eventually they finally hit the groove. And then, you know, like, Happy tells him that, you know, he, he gives him that pep talk he needs to be like, look, you're not trying to be the next Tony. Nobody can be Tony. But you got to be you. And that's what matters. So... He ha- he has him build his suit or essentially make his suit. This is the part of it where it works. Yeah, this is where it's yeah. great because this is where you're like, oh shit! He's without knowing it, he's kind of, like he's you're finding literally himself. Literally watching him become Tony Stark. In yeah, that and he's creating a suit. He's playing fucking Led Zeppelin. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love Led Zeppelin. <laughs> 
<laughs> and then he starts listening to you know like Tony's old like soundtrack, and yeah, it gives you uh, Iron Man one vibes, and you're like, yeah. man, this is cool. And the look that Happy gives him, yeah. watching him do it, is really what sells the scene. Yeah, you're like, yeah, this is it. This is this is us being transported back into the world of Iron Man one. Uh, missed opportunity. This movie never goes to Paris. No, they it tease that they're gonna go to Paris at some point, but they never end up going. The climax of the film is actually in London. Yep. Um, and they find some weird convoluted way to cut the summer trip short for the class. And Peter obviously was not able to join them, and he had to come up with some weird, ridiculous lie that he was staying in Germany with relatives. Because he met family, yeah. <laughs> and then Flash is like, no, Brad is like, don't you think it's weird that every time Peter, uh, was it? He's like, every time Peter is gone or something, like, some bad happens to us. And doesn't anyone think it's weird that he always finds a way with his family? And then MJ just starts roasting him in front of the class. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she was like, I think it's just weird how obsessed you are with him or some shit. Yeah. Which, obviously, she's doing it to cover for him now because now she knows she's, that he's Spider-Man. And also because she totally wants to... Make googly eyes. You thought I was gonna say something perverted, didn't you? You were gonna say something perverted. Shut you just up. stopped yourself. You know what? You disgust me. <laughs> so it takes him however long it takes for him to finally get the suit. In the meantime, um, the air elemental. I think it's supposed to be the air elemental. It's kind of a combination of of it's like all a the super elemental. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's supposed to create like the most amount of damage and casualties that any of them have done till now. So Beck has absolutely no problem with killing people. Like yeah. he wants the most casualties possible to make the Mysterio like saving being uh, even that that much more important, right? Mm. So. Yeah, so at this point, Beck is going to be using the super elemental as a cover for him to kill anyone that knows about Beck's secret, which at this point is Mary Jane and Ned, and also Ned's girlfriend because they're, you know, she's there. <laughs> Wait, I mean, yeah, are they together at this point? Uh, yeah, they're still together, oh, okay. but um, they're not, they don't know, I mean, it's really just Ned and MJ. Yeah, well, everyone else just happens to be in danger because they're part in of his the group. class. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know what? Now they all die. Yeah, they're part of the casualty group that he doesn't really care about. So he starts using the drones to start kind of corralling them in order to attack them. Peter makes it in the nick of time and he's able to fly into the projection and starts destroying enough of the drones to make the projection drop. So once the projection drops, uh, it's kind of revealed that. Drones are behind the attack, so uh, Beck starts using the drones to be able to coordinate attacks mm -hmm. and trying to, you know, meanwhile trying to kill Spider Man, right? So Beck has dropped the weird, you know, the weird suit, like the superhero suit, and in, even though he doesn't have the stupid looking fishbowl, what they do instead is they use like I don't know if it's supposed to be like a vi like a big visor, right? Like a big circular visor, but it kind of like so that he can project Edith's like HUD mm -hmm. on it, and then he's able to direct everything. And he's like in this tactical suit. What he looks like to me, he looks like a Metal Gear Solid villain. Yeah. And I was like, I like this. <laughs> I think this looks really cool. So in the meantime, you know, Spider Man is trying to save his friends. 
uh, Happy goes and he tries to save the kids and he takes them into like a weird museum where they're being attacked by the drones. I do love that they all decide to like tell their secrets about each other before they <laughs> die. They're like Flash, like they're able to find Flash in London, like from the Stark plane. Oh, because he's live streaming yeah, yeah. on Instagram, and and you know like Flash just talked about how obsessed he is with becoming famous on social media. Uh, MJ reveals that you know that she like has this severe she sarcasm, uses cover, yeah. yeah, and she uses it as, as like a coping mechanism. Um, and that's when Happy decides to reveal that he's in love with Spider-Man's aunt, <laughs> and everyone's like, "What?" And he's like, "What?" I thought we were all revealing something. <laughs> yeah. Um, and also, like, uh, Happy decides to try to save them by throwing a shield, like one of those old <laughs> medieval shields. He and tries it to just, throw like, it like flops. <laughs> So, but it goes to, I mean, it was cool. Again, it reminds you, oh yeah, he, he can try that because he's met Captain America. Yeah. So the kids are, while the kids are trying to fight for their life, Peter finally is able to break through the, um, he's able to break through all the, all the, what's it called? Um, the defenses of the drones. Yeah. But however, he takes damage and his, uh, web stop working. So now he manages to get back on, or he get manages to get to the top of London Bridge where there's like a skyway, and he confronts Beck. However, between him and Beck, there's like at least like two dozen of these drones, and they each are pretty much fully like locked and loaded, ready to kill him. So Peter calms himself down, closes his eyes, and has one of the coolest moments of Spider-Sense, like, working again in, I think, Spider-Man movies, like, right? Yeah, which was, his Spider-Sense was largely ignored. There was none of it in Homecoming. Yep. They make an allusion to it in Infinity War Mm -hmm. and Endgame, but it, like, this is where it's most prominently featured now. They never make a big deal out of it, as opposed to, like, the Raimi trilogy, where, like, you know, Raimi would have the sound cue every time the Spider-Sense would go off. Um, and I think it was just always implied that Spider-Man's able to do the stuff he does because of the Spider-Sense, right? Mm -hmm. But this time we actually see it, where he closes his eyes, everything goes black, and all you see is the focus when the drones come in, he just starts punching them and jumping through them and fighting them and doing all this crazy shit. And then finally, he manages to hit Beck. And thinking he's won, and you think he's won, right? And then suddenly, you know, there's the there's the uh, misdirect where you think, you know, Beck got the drop on Spider-Man. Spider-Man, again, using his spider sense, is actually able to dodge the bullet and Beck ends up shooting himself <laughs> um, based on the ricochet from the bullet yeah. because Peter was able to, you know, fucking saw that shit coming. So Beck ends up dying in front of Peter. Peter ends up saving... London and saving his friends and he you know professes his love for MJ and then you find out MJ feels the exact same way and they share a kiss on London Bridge and they make it back to Queens and by this point Ned is broken up with Betty yeah. <laughs> and but you know finally it's amicable <laughs> yeah and but finally everything is looking up for Peter he's finally got the girl his powers are working right he knows what it's like to be Spider-Man, and yeah. And for the first time since a Raimi movie, well, if you don't count the animated sequence in Spider-Verse, 
this is the first time in a while where you've seen Peter Parker, like, just, you know, uh, shoot his web and fly across the city of New York, basically. Yeah, it was, and it was really cool, because now he's actually in Manhattan, and he's yeah. like... It's not just him. He's not just know. in Queens anymore. Yeah, he's not just some kid from Queens, a friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. He's actually Spider-Man as we know and love. Right. Which, which you know, when we get to our feelings on this movie, I'll, I'll, I'll return to that again. Um, they bring back the kind of ending music uh, by the Ramones. Uh, this time it's I Want to Be Your Boyfriend. Last time yeah, it was, yeah, was yeah. Bump. I, I did like that they chose to do that while he was like swinging with MJ. Oh, I love the fact that Kirsten Dunst love like Kirsten Dunst MJ loved like swinging with uh, Peter, and in this one she, MJ hates it. <laughs> she has like a panic attack <laughs> yeah. in the middle of the yeah. air. Which which I think even Raimi like had once noted that like the scenes of M- Mary Jane and Spider Man from his franchise was very much a callback to uh, Lois Lane and Superman from yeah. the Richard Donner yeah, Superman movie. I can movie. totally see that because in in Richard Donner Superman movie there was. It was a, like Lois was supposed to sing a song, and oh if, you, God, if you rewatch if you rewatch the movie, like she actually just reads off like a a weird spoken word poem, like uh, called "Can You Read My Mind?" while they play the music in the background. If you really pay attention, you can hear how her panties were moistening. <laughs> but it's like yeah, it's like it, it's like everything has has been a callback to this and. I do like that this MJ like very much feels like her own character, and she uh, like flips the fuck out. <laughs> like yeah. they, as soon as they finish, she goes, "Oh, that's cool. Let's never do that again." <laughs> <laughs> it's funny because it's definitely a lot more realistic. Because uh, yeah, like knowing my girlfriend, I'm not saying she's MJ or anything, but I'm just saying if I ever like even suggested, "Hey, let's do something involving heights," she would say, "Hey, fuck off." Hey, me just myself. If <laughs> if Spider-Man saved me from anything, I would fucking <laughs> Put die. me down! Put me I down! I would puke immediately. I would immediately throw up in his face. I have vertigo, so I would immediately just like have a panic attack. <laughs> Like and lose and lose all consciousness. So like I don't I don't blame her for that. But uh, right before the movie ends itself, we get a scene where uh, right on the the jumbotron in Times Square, and this is awesome. A, we get a breaking news segment where J. Jonah Jameson comes back, the uh, Alex Jones of the Marvel <laughs> universe, where he is once again played by a. Uh, what is this guy's name again? Uh, J.K. Simmons. J.K. Simmons. Oh, J.K. Simmons, my bad. <laughs> yeah, who we've last seen as Commissioner Gordon in Justice League at That's this point. Right. <laughs> but yeah, he returns as a balder, more crazy version of J.K. He's Alex Jones, I'm yeah. fucking telling you! Uh, and where he, like, you know, refers to Beck as a uh, great American hero and Spider-Man is a menace. And, uh, but this know. time he actually has something to back it up because he has exclusive footage that not only reveals Spider-Man's secret identity, it shows that Peter was the one that ordered the execute, or what's it called, the, uh, ordered the, uh, ordered the drones to execute not only the people of Britain, but also Beck. Mm-hmm. And I, I fucking knew that was gonna come back the moment, uh, the moment he said, uh, "Kill it all," because I was like, "That's super bad wording." Why would he say that? <laughs> and then he, and the, because when I remember, like, I told my girlfriend, I was like, when he, after he said, "Kill it all," I'm like, "Oh my god, the drones are actually gonna kill everyone." <laughs> but no, like you know, so the the movie ends 
with this giant bomb being dropped and Peter yelling into the camera, going, "What the fuck?" Yeah, and uh, yeah, and they his, he actually gets outed as Spider Man. Yeah, uh, Spider Man is Peter Parker, and the next film is gonna have to deal with uh, him being a superhero and yeah. everyone knowing what his secret identity is now. So we'll see where they go again. I'm very much looking forward to Spider-Man 3. There's a lot of different things that they can do. They can finally divorce him from this. And uh, what do you think of Spider-Man Far From Home? Oh, I really liked it. Yeah. I thought it was a it was a fun movie. It was a great movie. A lot of action. A lot of uh, a lot of a lot of ha has. I thought it was really funny. Um, just really enjoyable. But as a Marvel fan, as a hero, like as comic book fucking movie fan, comic book hero, uh, hero fan, whatever. Um, I really enjoyed how true to form they were with Peter as a character, but how many, like, they weren't, they weren't afraid to take a lot of liberties. Um, and you know, yeah, they did a lot of cool callbacks to everything else in the MCU, right? I love the fact that at the end of Iron Man, and I've read about this juxtaposition before, the end of Iron Man, Tony willfully reveals that he's Iron Man and to the point where he repeats the line in Endgame. Mm. And, you know, you have that, and now his, you know, protege is in the exact same situation, but in the worst possible way. Yeah. Where, you know, he didn't actually have that chance to reveal himself. He had that choice taken away from him by a villain. And surprisingly, Mysterio was a very good villain. <laughs> like, I remember when thinking, oh man, Mysterio, he's kind of lame, but the way they played it up, I think it was, it was just great. All in all, I really liked the movie. Um, I have to admit too, I really love this movie. Um, I, I really loved it. It really is my second favorite uh, live action Spider-Man movie. I will say this, there's, I've read a lot of opinions online where people are saying it is their favorite and I'm not going to say that those people are wrong. Because everyone has their own opinion. And everyone is free to think what they think. Everyone's entitled to their wrong ass opinion. To me, nothing in terms of just scope. How it was shot and scored. And how important it feels. Nothing in these movies since Spider-Man 2. Feels like it hits the heights of Spider-Man 2. And that's all I will say about that it is an awesome movie i'm glad that you know that we are in this uh marvel universe spider-man now um i think this third film in this series uh trilogy has the potential to be freaking awesome and i think this character has the potential to if they ever fucking do what i want them to do and that's a uh spider-man venom crossover uh, that is, I would just fucking love that. A little Tom and Tom connection. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it is still, again, it's still, it's still all about Spider-Man 2 for me. Same as I felt after our, uh, Into the Spider-Verse series. But. I, I still feel as I did into, uh, or, you know, with after Into the Spider-Verse, where I think Into the Spider-Verse is the best Spider-Man movie. I think if we're counting the animated film, it's Spider-Man 2, Into the Spider-Verse, and then Far From Home at number three. 
Yeah, that's fine, I guess. <laughs> You're entitled to your wrong-ass opinion. <laughs> so, with that, I think we finally finished our... Uh, we finally got around to reviewing Far From Home. I think we are safely out of superhero movie territory for a good while. Yeah, we need to take a break from this. Yeah, we don't want to be typecasted as the fucking superhero and Star Wars podcast. So, we will be coming back to Spider-Man 2. We are going to be reviewing Joker when it comes out in October. But for the next yeah. couple of months, we need a bit of a break. August and September, we are going to fucking break the monotony. As you guys know, in the Do We Like Star Wars, we have finally turned the corner. We are going into the OG trilogy with New Hope next week. I'm looking forward to it. I haven't seen New Hope in a while, so I can't wait to re- you know, refresh my memory with that. Uh, I think it was... Yeah, Angel brought it up earlier. We uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood dropped today. You know, kind of putting a little timestamp on this episode. So we're looking forward to watching that movie. Expect a review for that in the next maybe two weeks. Yeah. And also before the end of the month of August, we want to review uh, Spike Lee's Do the Right Thing, which also turns 30 this year. It is a film from 1989, which Javi has not seen before. And I haven't seen since I was in high school. And it would be an awesome review movie to just kind of go in and review and have a bit more of a high-level conversation on. And, um... We talked about 500 Days of Summer, and yep. you know what? I'm going to put it on the on this episode, so that way we yep. have to do it. So uh, 500 Days of Summer is turning 10 this year, so we will yep. return to it. So we're probably going to... So expect, So we're going to have a pretty interesting Quentin Tarantino, Spike, jo- or Spike Lee, and I was about to say Spike Jones. No, <laughs> and then... fucking jackass. <laughs> yeah, no, so we're going to have Quentin Tarantino, Spike Lee, and Mark Webb was the director of 500 Days of Summer. Do you recognize that name? No. He was the guy. 500 Days of Summer is the movie that got him the gig of Amazing Spider-Man 1 and 2. Oh, <laughs> that's going to be interesting. Yeah, so... Uh, so, and sprinkled in there, we're going to have the Do We Like Star Wars continuing as well. Yep. So, I think we pretty much set up our schedule for the next couple weeks. So, yep. I hope you guys are looking as forward to it as we are. Please continue to subscribe. Please continue to download episodes. Please continue to leave us as much feedback as possible. We really appreciate all the downloads that we are getting and all the traffic that we've gotten on the show in these last couple of months since the Star Wars series has really started kicking off and we really just want to thank our audience for continuing to support us and we'll talk to you guys next time so I'm Angel and I'm Javi later turds